This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. back movie nerds to another episode of the art house road show today i am joined by my friend and colleague kyle myers and we're going to dive into some great movies today specifically the rocky mm-hmm. uh quadrilogy we're just going to do rocky one through four uh we're gonna leave off rocky five and rocky balboa for the time being but we'll explain where we're going with that here in a minute but first off how are you doing kyle i'm doing pretty good man doing pretty good um deep into our spring semester here and mm-hmm. uh the birds are singing new songs, and the weather's getting a little warmer. Yeah. And kind of bouncing around, obviously, in February, but it's been nice. It's beautiful. Yeah, we're heading quickly towards the season of Lent, which should be a, a really helpful time, I think, just for not only our campus, but I think just in the church. Obviously, it is every year. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I appreciate about the church calendars. It's a different way of measuring time, but also I think it's a built-in kind of um, – for the world a, a place of rest and healing and, and different kind of rhythms that can help us process not only just what's going on in our world and our lives, but just like within like ourselves, which I find very helpful. Um, but anyway, we'll have some fun things planned for Lent, which we'll, we'll tell you about here in a little bit. Um, but today, like I said, we're, we're going through Rocky one through four before we jump into that though. Uh, our, our traditional segment here is just to kind of name what we're watching and I'll go first today. I've been kind of rewatching, um, Wakanda forever with, uh, which is the black Panther sequel. Uh, as if you're a listener to this podcast, you know, I'm a Marvel nut, uh, which is probably problematic because I think it shapes how I see and receive other films, um, kind of in the, in the, Mm -hmm. in the like zeitgeist that we got going on. Mm -hmm. But I really do like this movie for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, it's hard to watch just because the the real life loss of Chadwick Boseman, um, but also the in movie kind of loss that's experienced through the loss of a, a brother, a son, a king, you know those kind of things, mm-hmm. a protector. Um, there's there's a couple really great scenes between um, Shuri, um, who it plays um, kind of like T'Challa's uh, like sister, who's a genius and a scientist. And Ramonda, who's now the queen of Wakanda, she's uh, um, T'Challa's mother, T'Chaka's wife. Um, and, you know, actually, I think there's a, uh, an Academy Award that's been, that she's been nominated for. I'm, yep. trying, I need to, I'm going to pull up her name. Angela really. Bassett. Angela Bassett. She actually got um, an Academy Award for her performance here. And I'm blown away by what she's able to do. But um, there's this scene where um, her and Shuri um, and Ramonda are sitting by the waterside and they're talking about grief. And I find that to be really powerful because in a sense, like it's also um, on the one hand, Shuri's this very technologically savvy person, very scientific, very skeptical of the religious of things you can't touch. And her mom, who is very spiritual and in touch with the ancestral plane and things of that nature and how a part of her grieving has been coming down into the bush um, to experience and to reconnect and to even receive messages from T'Challa. Uh, which I think is a really powerful kind of way of her dealing with her grief. And one of the themes of this film is, is Shuri not dealing with her grief, you know, just kind of leaving it that, you know, T'Challa's gone, your mind kind of makes up stuff that you think is spiritual and there's nothing really there, Um, which I think is such an interesting kind of interplay because you actually see the consequences of that as the film unfolds. 
And I don't know that she ever really properly deals with her grief in the way that um, Ramonda would have wanted. She does deal with it, I think, in, in a very interesting way that I don't want to spoil for those of you who haven't seen it because um, it just dropped on Disney+. Plus. Um, so um, I won't spoil it. But nonetheless, I think that it answers or at least digs into a, a lot of our own culture's inability to grieve um, because of our kind of loss of attention to the spiritual nature of death and especially the ways in which like there's rhythms of how we need to engage in these kind of things. Mm-hmm. But that's something I've been watching recently and thinking about. Yeah, sure. Uh, what have you been watching recently, Kyle? <laughs> um, yeah, anyways, yeah, all, all well said. That made me more interested to uh, engage with it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it is a Marvel movie, but every mm-hmm. once in a while they drop in, I think, some very helpful nuggets. I mean, like I still contend that, like we talked about, that the multiverse of madness has some very helpful ways of thinking about the multiverse that I think are out, outpaced the way that the, and especially like grieving and loss um, and tradition and things like that, that outpace even everything everywhere all at once, which mm-hmm. I know is blasphemous right now, mm-hmm. but that's just, I mean, yep. maybe I'm overly sympathetic, but anyway, yeah. What, yeah. what are you watching? Well, I watched, um, so it's been mostly the, the Rocky stuff in January. I watched a lot in February, not as much. Uh, getting busier and whatnot, but I made it to Gateway on Saturday because they were showing uh, what they call the John Carpenter's Apocalypse Trilogy. Nice. uh, Which will pertain to our later Body Snatchers conversation, but Friday night they showed The Thing, which I did not see. Um, Saturday they showed Prince of Darkness, which I had never seen, which is the one I did see, and then Sunday they showed In the Mouth of Madness, which I did not go see and haven't seen since the 90s, but... (laughs) Um, anyways, interesting, you know, like not intentional, um, trilogy, obviously, but, uh, shares many themes and, and Mm -hmm. all that. Uh, but Prince of Darkness was, uh, one of its really, really great, uh, classic John Carpenter, um, and classic kind of Carpenter composition and framing and, um, expressing, but what this t- story is basically uh, a very, again, uh, kind of very much science and faith, uh, both in contrast, but also together, mm-hmm. like kind of working mm-hmm. together, uh, where this priest has died and left his key behind to this basement in this old church uh, that is basically housing what they come to find is the father of Satan uh, in the cylinder, and it's like this green, like mist swirling around. Um, and so, uh, but then it's the people, the priest brings in this professor and all of his like quantum physics students to set up a laboratory and study this thing and try to understand it, um, and whatever. And so from there, you know, things begin to unravel. (laughs) Um, and, but very interesting engagement. And I'm, you know, um, my least favorite horror is certainly like satanic, um, types of, film the subgenre uh, right it's yeah. most uncomfortable <laughs> um, yeah because it just feels um like that's just li- literally scary to me yeah um <laughs> and but this was you know a fascinating kind of engagement and take on all all themes considered there right. um so definitely uh in its own way like recommend it definitely yeah i need to check that out i've written that down I, the thing i appreciate about older kind of horror movies are the ways in which like science and faith are kind of interplayed more like Mm -hmm. i I always go back to and i think i mentioned this here on this podcast before the original invisible man was this kind of commentary about like how far should humanity meddle with our 
growing scientific capacities. Yeah, yeah. And what keeps it in check is this understanding of the faith of like what our limits are and what we should be doing. You know, I mean, flash forward to the more contemporary Invisible Man's, it's just been like not, there's no mention of should we, Mm -hmm. which I really (laughs) appreciate that ethical constraint like on scientific inquiry. I mean, science is not like a a valueless um, enterprise. It does have its own passages there and i think that's why i like some of the i mean in terms of like satanic stuff like demon uh like the the conjuring universe i find pretty interesting because it all kind of revolves around this uh this couple the warrens who are real life like couple like catholic couple who go in and like very devout and try and like drive out you know evil forces to like help families like not be tormented um, it's like Annabelle and all those movies are within that universe, which I, anyway, in the end, there's a <laughs> right. very deep theological message in each of those films, which I really appreciate though. It is like just objectively terrifying. Yeah. I can I've not made the, I've not made the leap to that. Don't do yep. it, man. Just don't do it. Like, especially the nun, that stuff, yep. will, that, that image of the nun just will keep you up at night. Yeah. So just, yeah, don't do it. Don't dive yep. down there thing. But if you do dive down, let me yep. know. And I want to yep. know what you think. Sure. So. Uh, well, anyway, uh, lots to talk about here. Obviously, we're talking about Rocky 1 through 4. Um, this is a part of a longer series that Kyle and I will be doing um, leading up to the release of Creed 3. Um, we'll, we'll talk about the Creed movies later and maybe even a little bit with Rocky 5 and Rocky mm-hmm. Balboa. But this is kind of the main quadrilogy that I think most people associate with the golden age of Rocky. But, um, you know, I, I mentioned in the podcast before, this movie is a very... Uh, near and dear to my family's heart because my parents when my my mother was pregnant with my eldest sister in Kansas City on a hot summer day um, my dad said well we got to escape this heat somehow let's go to the movie theater usually pretty cold you know cool in there we'll get AC yeah which at the time if you don't know this about the Church of the Nazarene you weren't really allowed to go see movies like if they would have gotten caught they probably would have gotten expelled from the respective institutions that they were at (laughs) Um, or at least uh, deeply fined or something of that nature. And so um, anyway, mm-hmm. uh, they went and the two movies I saw, the f- again, were Star Wars. That was one. And then Rocky, which I told someone that story recently. And they, they mentioned it's mind-blowing to think about the fact that, they, uh, that those two movies were out at the same time. Uh, or near the same time, at least. And yeah. so Rocky has always been a big part of it. And when my dad was writing his dissertation, Rocky Three was out. And they got a recording of The Eye of the Tiger. My dad would listen to that while he was typing his dissertation because oh, yeah. that's a spiritual journey of its own. Yeah, right? no doubt. So this one has a very – this story has a very deep resonance with my family. I watched it, like, in grade school, and it's just always been a part of my mm-hmm. life since there. But um, what's kind of your connection to this film? Yeah, um, I mean, in terms of childhood, because yeah. like, I was born in 78. Mm-hmm. Um, and the original Rocky was 76, and 2 was, like, 79. Uh, or maybe 78, uh, mm-hmm. right around Star Wars, of course. Right. Um, and, yeah, so just born into it in so many ways. Like, I, I, again, family, uh, very much a part of it. And by the time, like, I was more aware of it around Rocky Three, which is 82, it had been four, and, and uh, we're into, you know, WWF comes on. We only have 13 channels right, back yeah. then. But WWF comes on on Saturdays, and so Hulk Hogan was already a part of our, like, you know, side guys yeah at home but <clears throat> i grew up in southern ohio and my our uh high school uh has always had really good football teams mm-hmm. 
and always, always also had what we call the million dollar marching band. Nice. Um, and so from the days, you know, my earliest days, I can remember the band playing Eye of the Tiger. Yeah. Uh, at uh, our, our team is called the Fighting Tigers. And so that was just very much like for a whole decade, you know, a song that was being played and we were hearing. Um, and growing up in that kind of, you know, small town sports culture um, anyways was, you know, just just part of it mm-hmm. um and i didn't really come into tune i don't think with the the story itself and falling in love with the story until probably the early 90s right uh rocky five which i'll talk more about that um experience next time but um but yeah but uh but then you know television at that time and and vhs tapes when my brother was at uh, Mount Vernon himself in the early '90s. Yeah, they were watching Rocky Four on repeat because they were yeah. really into weightlifting and whatever. Um, and so it was almost just like always around, you know, like Star Wars was or anything right. else of that of that era, uh, Spielberg and and anything else. It was just uh, part of who we were, mm-hmm. part of the way uh, people interacted with each other, quoting the movie. Uh, making fun of it or whatever, or part of holiday traditions. Um, oh, yeah. Those things. So, you know, just really fascinating. Yeah, there's a period in, like, the 70s and 80s where there's just, I mean, cinema was was just had, like, the height of entertainment in terms of what it what it was providing. I mean, all the movies that come out during that, that period from, like, 76 to, like, 84, I think are just solid. I know it's not the golden age of cinema, like, proper but i just i think of that. well it is yeah it's certainly its own thing and to that uh so jaws in 75 like um before that uh there had not been such a thing as summer blockbuster because mo- people didn't go to the movies because they didn't have air condition in mm. those spaces um and so movie you know the movie season was basically when it cooled down mm-hmm. um and uh so the introduction of the blockbuster in the mid seventies became again, once star Wars hit and, and all these other things mm-hmm. growing up in the eighties, going to the movies in the <laughs> summer to yeah. get out of the heat and whatever. Cause again, uh, if you're younger, you don't recognize that, you know, not every, not everybody had air condition right, yeah. um, growing up and, uh, still, you know, people were going to swimming pools were still public pools were very popular during the summer, find just having things to do. Uh, video games could get old really quick back then, even though we had, you know, there's only so many times you can play Super Mario Brothers. That's right. Um, and we were just outside a lot. Um, but anyways, yeah, going to the movies provided a bit of a respite. And, yeah. and obviously, um, it had, you know, since the 60s had already started to become youth-oriented, but in the 80s it just felt like right. we were definitely honing in on Mm-hmm. the bored youth at home in the summer uh, looking for something to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a fantastic film. It's a fantastic period of time, like with the movies and everything. And obviously there's a lot of things in the background of these Rocky films. Um, I know Sylvester Stallone, you know, he, he, he witnessed a, a prize fight between, um, mm. uh, between uh, Muhammad Ali and just some random guy. I always forget the name of the guy. Um, and he actually knocked he knocked uh, Muhammad Ali down like in and you know this is some like you know just guy that was given a shot at the title out of nowhere you know Muhammad Ali was a very boisterous very public figure mm-hmm. and so having that you know that challenge with the guy uh, with the guy was very appealing to him and the guy thought like he could, I, I remember the interview the guy he goes back to his corner after knocking down Muhammad Ali and he says hey uh, we're going to be rich because mm-hmm. he thought he was winning the title then. 
but his ring manager is like, well, uh, Muhammad Ali just got back up and he does not look happy. Mm-hmm. And then he came out of the corner and then knocked the guy out yeah. pretty, pretty decisively. Uh, but you know, Rocky saw this so young Sylvester Stallone. That is not Rocky, yeah. uh, not Rocky Balboa, but he saw this and that's where the, uh, the genesis of the idea of Rocky Balboa came from. Obviously Apollo Creed is very much like Muhammad Ali. Um, and that, and that his kind of presentation and things like that. And so it's, it's a very uh, interesting kind of story. I mean, Sylvester Stallone himself was very, uh, in high school, he was, he was voted like least likely to go to prison. <laughs> you know, he was not a very thought of as a very intelligent guy, struggled with, um, school and all those kind of things. He was a very bright guy, but he just didn't express it the way that, you know, it was traditionally yep. seen. And so it's a fascinating story built out of this kind of, uh, um, his own experiences, not just with like his own life, but just like his experiences with boxing too. And at the time with, with writing, like he was trying right. to break into Hollywood. He'd been trying to write a number of things. He'd been acting as well. Yeah. Um, and in some, some different roles. Uh, but that had kind of, he stopped getting roles and putting a lot of energy into writing, which was going nowhere. Uh, saw this fight. Um, and the other thing about Ali get knocked down is that, uh, also was basically he tripped like yeah. over his own, you know, feet or whatever was part of the, the falling down of that. So, um, but anyways, um, still so much, uh, to extract from that. Um, and he also went back, so this is the mid seventies. And mm-hmm. again, we're just getting out of Vietnam, right. um, at this time and all of the, you know, economic issues and everything, Nixon, all this stuff. Right. Um, again, a fairly cynical, uh, depressed time in, yeah. in, in our history, economically speaking and politically speaking. Um, and so a lot of movies were reflecting that. I mean, most movies were reflecting that. And if right. you look at, you know, the year of uh, the awards that year, Network and uh, All the President's Men and, and some others, you know, are not, um, they're not happy, hopeful, bright movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're engaging some hard topics. Anyways, um, you know, Sloan was also taking a risk in what he, he was looking back at, like, Frank Capra movies. Right. Uh, and even Chaplin uh, <coughs> movies where, mm-hmm. you know, looking at the underdog, looking at uh, this kind of, you know, uh, journey um, and writing, you know, this character through that lens, mm-hmm. um, which uh, he was very energized about but didn't have a whole lot of expectations. This is going to get picked up. Yeah. Um, and even when it did... Uh, he had two two battles. One was that they, you know, uh, the producers or the studio liked it, offered him $75,000. He was on his, you know, like last $100, so that sounds like a great deal. Uh, but he said no. Uh, he didn't want to sell it, and they ended up offering him like $250,000 for it. Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, but he still said no, which was a big deal. I'll tell you why in a, mi- in a minute. Uh, but then the other big barrier was is he wanted to star in the movie, uh, and of course, he hasn't even been hired to act in any movie in right. a while. He's not known. They're wanting like Paul Newman uh, or James Caan to play the part, and he's also refusing that. Uh, so basically, the studio still wanted to do it, but they were like, "Okay, you guys have like a million dollars. You know, go see what you can do with this guy." Um, and which meant like they didn't get permits. They were on the street illegally filming. You know, and all these <laughs> other like guerrilla kind of things. Anyways, you know, they stayed within the budget of a million dollars, but. Uh, because he didn't sell the uh, the script, he instead contracted for ten percent of the profits. Um, so this million dollar movie ended up becoming this like almost three hundred million dollar uh, global phenomenon. 
yeah. uh, that, that won the Academy Award that year. So he came mm-hmm. out a multimillionaire um, as opposed to, you know, getting two, $250,000. He ended up with like $20 million. That's amazing. Um, crazy, right? And so, and Lucas, you know, did some of the same stuff with the original Star Wars. Uh, that yeah, if this glo- goes big, I get this, you know, percentage, and I get, you know, all the profit from the toys and whatever. Oh yeah. Um, and it also created his empire. Oh yeah. The the licensing alone for uh, yep. the, for like the prequels, just oh man, I, I I shiver thinking about how much money he made. But true. Yeah. The um the. And I mean, to this day, I mean, Stallone has made a killing off of this, yeah. this IP. Um, I mean, they even did like a musical recently. I don't know if you oh, saw yeah, that. I did not see that. No. Um, it looked interesting. I mean, I'll go see anything with Rocky in it at this point. That's what I've realized. Um, but um, it's a, it's a fascinating story. I mean, digging kind of into this story a little bit. I mean, I think the thing that probably it appeals to a lot of people is this underdog piece. I mean, it's funny hearing you talk about the whole Vietnam era kind of critique, knowing that for Stallone, right around the corner is Rambo, which is a more direct engagement with, yeah, uh, especially right. the first one. I mean, they kind yeah. of they get a lot. Well, more. the second one too, but yeah, but it's, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, uh, with it, it's just the uh, kind yeah. of I think the ratcheting up of intensity. Um, for sure of like what that is and in a way that i don't see rocky doing like rocky's still very much close to the ground i think in all of what it tries to do granted you may agree or disagree with that but um the story itself is this underdog story which i think a lot of people really gravitate towards like especially if they've been that in their life i mean the theme i mean the theme that i think of uh i mean that it's expressed explicitly in Rocky Balboa, which is outside of the scope of what we're talking about today, but that whole idea of like you can kind of take a beating and keep on moving. And Rocky is this kind of character that, from even a very young age, takes a a really significant beating and has kind of like moved, like been able to move through his life and those kind of things, um, which I think is relatively significant. Well, what's important to you about this film, uh, Kyle? These films. I mean, mm-hmm. you got four here, so obviously, yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, I mean, obviously starting with the first one, uh, two things is, yeah, that he's just, you really get a sense um, throughout the series. I think just one of the things that's not really acknowledged when you get into the sequels uh, a little later because he becomes his champion. Um, right. And doesn't look like a vulnerable person. But mm-hmm. uh, but it's his vulnerability that I think brings us, one, initially connects us to him. Um, is that he has some obvious limitations. Right. Um, and even though <clears throat> he tries to maintain this kind of like telling jokes and, and being optimistic and um, and being encouraging to mm-hmm. his friends and, and people he knows and he's supposed to break a guy's thumb and he doesn't do it, you know, he lets him off the hook. Um, so, you know, he's actually this, you know, uh, kind of softer, like nice guy who doesn't yeah. want it. He doesn't really have like... Uh, a, a mean, uh, sharp way of being in the world. Right. And uh, so there's a sense of, like, you know, softness and vulnerability to him. That And, you know, you, you get to see beneath the, the surface of his optimism uh, at times, too, where he's obviously struggling, you know, before we even get into any boxing stuff. But, um, but certainly, uh, you know, just, like, struggling. He's a struggling person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and then from the beginning, this is, you know, a key visual thing that's a, a real motif, you know, throughout one way or another. Uh, but the first, very first scene when he's boxing Spider Rico. Yeah. Uh, they're in uh, a gym called the 
Resurrection Athletic Club, and literally the first image you see in all of Rocky is the face of Jesus, an icon. Right. Um, that then pans down to Rocky fighting Sp- Spider Rico uh, and getting beat up pretty good, even though he ends up winning that little match. Um, but uh, immediately we're connecting, associating like this journey he's getting ready to go on mm-hmm. as a passion, right? It's another, another one of our passion podcasts here. Right. The yeah. passion of Rocky. Um, and uh, there's a lot of other catholic imagery and even uh bill conti the uh who's famous for the musical score which is one of the most famous musical scores probably in history of movies um that uh part of his in an interview on one of the special features talks about like uh himself as a catholic and seeing you know rocky getting knocked down the body or the blood and the sweat in the body uh all very much like a mass oriented uh experience um, and the part of his music and the, the, the bigness and the epicness was trying to express uh, this like Eucharist baptism, uh, death and resurrection quality that happens in the boxing ring uh, that Scorsese also explores in Raging Bull. Um, but it's just quite fascinating that it's like, you know, um, uh, it's, it, it's easy to miss. So there's some subtlety to it. Oh, yeah. uh, but it's also very clear, like, inspiration for the movies and part of the expression of the character and his Mm -hmm. journey getting to the end spoiler for part one here but um rocky does not win the fight which i think was another huge draw uh to why we love this movie is because it it um doesn't invert as much as it just suggests there's actually something bigger here Mm -hmm. that uh he's winning right uh it wasn't actually about winning the championship uh, for him actively about going the distance, uh, but even how he ends it uh, by embracing Adrian and just wanting to be with Adrian, uh, the real victory here is connection, not conquest. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so just really beautiful, uh, you know, something, you're just having this experience you don't expect because you don't have the, yeah, we won, you know, experience. It does also put you into a different kind of um, space with how to experience that the yeah. spirituality of it ultimately yeah yeah that whole end scene where kind of he like you know i mean because paulie's also a big part of this that's one of the main characters yeah. lifting up the rope to like let his sister into the ring yep. while he kind of distracts the security guard mm-hmm. and uh for that moment you know there's a like there's there's an interesting moment at the end of the film where there's there's this guy you know i mean i don't for those of you who are watching this i don't know how much you know about boxing there's a guy in a corner whose responsibility is to like like mop down the face of the fighter like mm-hmm. you get, get the blood out of the eyes there's a guy who actually that guy is, has the sponge and and he is like throwing water on rocky mm-hmm. in the same way that like a uh, catholic priest will bless absolutely um the congregation which is it's it's very obvious when you watch the film i mean but you'd miss it if you weren't looking for it because there's right. just water flying everywhere um you know, I mean, obviously, one of the the core themes in Rocky is kind of him going to get blessed by a Catholic priest before he goes two, into yeah. the fight. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I mean, even like the fact that like Rocky two kind of picks up right here, right, right at that point at the uh, like mm-hmm. them going to the hospital to get taken care of. But that going the distance theme, I think, is the like, I don't know. I, that's the thing that also like appeals to me. Like, it's not about winning; it's about him like finally feeling like he's good enough you know, in a certain sense and a feeling like he's he's got the the goods i mean everyone thought he was going to be dropped in three mm-hmm. right and things like that and so um 
obviously there's a there's a lot lot to unpack there but that that first film kind of telling you that story especially the awkward romance of him and adrian and what they become kind of over the course of this period of time i mean my favorite game to play in the in the rocky movies is to count how many people were in the godfather that were also <laughs> in rocky so adrian obviously mm-hmm. is one the mob boss that yeah. you know pays for him is another i mean there's a couple more too um but anyway I, I just love that that feature here yeah of course is there something lost for you then when we transition into the later film so obviously rocky 2 still has that sense of his vulnerability like you know we find out that rocky really can't read really well um he can do basic stuff but like you know he tries to get in commercials but he can't because he just can't read and act and things of that nature um and so there's this very beautiful moment where you know adrian is sitting next to him in in the bed and kind of helping him learn how to read and i've always really appreciated that scene because even when rocky had nothing he had adrian yeah right um and uh you know there's that there's that vulnerability and you see on the other side apollo creed who's been tormented by the fact that he didn't beat him yeah right he won the match, but he didn't beat him. But do you feel like there's something lost as we transition into when Rocky II occurs and spoilers and then beats Apollo Creed? Um, is there something lost in that sense of like, since we don't see his vulnerability, like he actually does win the fight mm-hmm. in this way, but any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think that there, there is uh yeah, you can't repeat that first experience. Right. Yeah. Um, and but I think other things are are still at play, and so a lot of it ends up becoming. I mean, the formula uh, past two ends up becoming like integrating one and two into the next into three and then into four, where right. um, <clears throat> there is a um, a fight and a loss uh, that then leads to a second fight rematch, usually within the same movie, right? So it right. becomes kind of part of the formula. <laughs> Um, which is, I think, you know, part of the fun, but, and, and ultimately you're probably not going to make the movie again if he's not going to, you know, right, somehow. Yeah. but it's always about, you know, overcoming, uh, new challenges. Mm-hmm. And the th- thing that I think works, uh, in the sequels is that they're often still very internal challenges. Right. Um, and so when he, one of my favorite scenes of two is him and Mickey in the chapel, which you haven't brought up Mickey yet. Oh, Mickey's right. such yeah. a great character. Um, in so many ways, Mickey's oh, a great yeah. character, but anyways, they're in the hospital chapel and Mickey's already been all over Rocky cause Rocky's not training. Right. He wasn't training cause he was worried about Adrian and then Polly's, um, getting frustrated and going to, he goes to confront Adrian. That's when she's pregnant and she right. faints and now she's in a coma and this whole thing. It's actually a little long, uh, I think, um, in the movie, but anyways, uh, when she's in the coma, Rocky goes to be with her. The baby's okay, um, but they're all just waiting in the hospital room, including right. Mickey. Anyways, he goes to the chapel to pray. Uh, Mickey comes and has this great conversation with him um, about what he thinks. Right. Um, but the best part of it is, but Mickey just says, you know, you want to stay here? I'm going to stay with you if you're going to pray, and I want to pray too, and sits there. Um, and they have that frame of just the two of them just sitting, uh, which I think was, you know, phenomenal. Um, but again, like contending with this like internal barrier, this mm-hmm. thing you can't control, uh, that of course then turns into, uh, the second great training montage after she wakes up and, and Mickey is like, well, what are you waiting for? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, and whatever, <laughs> um, that spawns him to, to overcome yeah. this bigger challenge. And he's already been like, he can't see out of one eye and Mickey's already said, this guy's going to, you know, just destroy you. 
Um, and what are you doing? But okay, yeah, if you're going to do it, let's do it. And so same thing repeats itself with three. This time uh, Mickey dies, which in, in introduces grief for the first time in the Rocky movies, which w will continually uh, be an essential theme. Um, yeah, to an increasing degree, every single Yeah, no, one. One, 100. Uh, which is also, again, really important uh, spiritually for, for the character and for the movies. Um, but the thing, two things I love in terms of vulnerability about three is one, uh, allowing Apollo to train him. Um, and two, the, you know, the, uh, even the vulnerability of the joy they share on the beach together. Right. Uh, which is, um, uh, I mean, I, I find it uncomfortable <laughs> um, how happy they are together. And in a good way, because uh, they're expressing real joy, and that's not something you see uh, terribly often. But then there's another scene on the beach with Rocky and Adrian, yeah, where he's directly expressing he's afraid, yeah, right. And again, uh, like Mickey had already said, this guy's gonna—he's hungry. He's gonna destroy you. I've been protecting you. You're not the fighter you used to be. You're not hungry anymore. Um, and Rocky can't handle that. Um, and then he gets you know beat. Um, so, Soundly, you know, yeah. yeah. And so he's really scared, right? And so just the way it's communicated, I mean, it's easy and it sort of sounds glib to say it, but it's all in how it's communicated. Right. It's communicated in front of an ocean. Uh, his acting ability here is at, always at its best when he's in acting and communicating this, this kind of emotion or vulnerability or whatever. Um, and, yeah, so it just really works yeah. to bring you to the place where you can appreciate um, you know, the not not backing down away from what he feels like is his challenge. Yeah. Um, which works better as a metaphor than real life, obviously, but still I think it's effective. And then it just is increased from there in four. <laughs> That's right. Um, but they add the into the wild element where he goes into the wilderness like Jesus. Um, that's the cold Russian. Right. Wilderness. Yeah. Um, which, again, I think is so expressive. Um, and so fascinating to, you know, bring this, uh, again, coming back to our science, faith, 80s idea, but, you know, uh, Drago is this technological phenomenon. He's basically being experimented on. Um, and uh, to be this human uh, crushing machine yeah. and versus Rocky, who goes back to the wilderness and, and, um, and gets connected to nature and connected to himself and grows a beard and does right, all these yeah. things in order to prepare and the vulnerability of even going to their country and being on their soil and all this stuff um, yeah. that I find, yeah, like really uh, yeah. spiritually fascinating. And there's the loss of Apollo in there too. Uh, big time. You know, that's, Which I mean, that's huge. The whole thing. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's grief again. I mean, and yep. I mean, and I mean, just to put a plug in there, you know, and I, I forget who had more control over this. If it was Rocky or if it was, or sorry, if it was Stallone. I always call him Rocky. If I, if I, it was Stallone, or if it was someone else. But the way they come back to the story in Creed Two is, I just think, so powerful. Mm -hmm. Like just because it's you get to see because Drago in in Rocky Four is a silent killing machine. He doesn't really say much, yeah, except for a few things. You know, he's very much the poster boy of the of, of russia of, of like you know communism and things of that nature which obviously like a lot of films of this period are fighting against communism mm -hmm. and that kind of thing and that's what they're supposed to it's propaganda but i love in creed 2 how we come back to just like how it, it like how abandoned drago was and how his son is kind of this new thing 
that's going to be the his redemption and he you know and uh, throughout this process sees through and re- and actually you know doesn't want his son to repeat those mistakes and there's this beauty about it too i don't want to get too far into that because i want to save that <laughs> for when we do creed too but i just want to pl- say about that too it's so good right yeah. oh I, man it's so good it's anyway so i just yeah. i i love it and i there's supposed to be like a, a mini fight scene between stallone and um mm-hmm. and drago i mean and rocky and drago um, and I'm glad they took it out <clears throat> for a couple reasons, um, but most of all because like I feel like that story is as much about Drago and his son than it is about Cree- uh, about Adonis and Rocky, uh, which I really love. But I mean, like this idea of grief, like losing Mick. I mean, Mick is kind of a central spiritual figure of of Rocky, who in some sense kind of like is a like kind of the angel and the demon on his shoulder at dirt- so different times. Like before he gets the fight. He's very much contributing to the like you're a bum, mm-hmm. like you've got potential, but you just you're a bum, mm-hmm. you know. And then coming around to it to turn to help him train and help him. That's a great scene. Yeah, to be that, and you know, Rocky kicks him out and yells at him, and then chases him down and yep. you know gets his help and stuff of that nature. And uh, it's it's just a powerful kind of like companion. I mean, I even love when you know Mick is gone and Balboa when he. Uh, like he's he's going after this young kid and he has this flashback where he and he's in the corner and he hears mick in his ear you know mm. like go to him run mm-hmm. over him mm-hmm. that kind of thing mm-hmm. you know and there's this great i mean in some sense rocky balboa is like about grief like that's the film like it's about fighting grief in that kind of sense and so For sure the uh but when it comes to even um thinking about the grief and the loss of mick you know it's this spiritual force that like at one time is uh, heavy criticism but also just like in our corner in the biggest way yep. and so there's this kind of like juxtaposition of like uh of, of like positive and negative kind of like all in one character um well and two we were dr hank and i were talking about joseph campbell a little bit before right our podcast started but the whole um you know hero's journey always right. includes a mentor so morpheus you know ben Zinio, kenobi yeah. A Gandalf, you know, who, however you want to go, but Mickey really plays that. And again, like you know, a, a character who's both uh, we trust him because he's honest, right? He's honest about the hard stuff, and then you actually believe him when he's honest about like what's possible, right? Right. Um, and so yeah, so so Mickey, and then Apollo after that. But but yeah, the loss of Mickey is huge. And again, that's also part of the spiritual journey of when you know. Uh, the loss of the mentor is the time for your own growth, you know. Right. Um, and it takes <laughs> Rocky several more sequels to actually become, begin to become a mentor himself. Right. Um, in that, but yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, the stepping in of Apollo into the space, you know, um, of of Mickey is interesting in its own right. But one of the things I love about Rocky three is that, you know, they, in some sense, like the previous two Rocky movies have been about training for one fight Um, here in this film, there's a big kind of tent pole moment in the middle with the fight. And then you move into the later flight with clubber Lang, Mm -hmm. who's just played so well by um, Mr. Mr. T uh, just like this, this intensity, this just like really, I mean, really kind of the mirror image of Rocky when Rocky was kind of coming up just, but with this like hatred in some sense in the, like the bizarro Rocky, cause he's got the hunger, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he also has this bent edge that you're talking about towards like cruelty and, and meanness and toughness that Rocky never had. I mean, Rocky was the guy, as you mentioned, who didn't want to break that guy's thumb. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, you got Clover Lang like knocking 
computer like knocking people out in his in his like locker yep. room who are taking pictures of him mm-hmm. you know and so like he's just not he's this and anyway so it's just done really well um if you're if you're looking for a movie that uh displays really good boxing technique th- these are not the films for you <laughs> um but you know the because the another one of the big moments for rocky that kind of gets kind of blown over throughout the i think when we head to rocky five and rocky balboa the fact that like just all the blows to his head cause him to have severe like brain damage or, mm-hmm. like, or like some type of brain disorder yeah that causes him to be able to struggle i mean like it's it's, it's just a part of it he just takes hits after hits mm-hmm. and that's his kind of rocket like and it's supposed to it's supposed to be a metaphor yep. as you said it works better as a metaphor yeah, than a right. real life thing because if rocky was a real person yeah he'd have pulverized like like halfway yeah, yeah, yeah. through like rocky three so yeah any, any well, other uh, thoughts on this? Well, yeah. uh, the big one, I mean, as you mentioned, the Bizarro Mirror, but so the mirror itself is a core theme throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, and in right. the first one, you know, <clears throat> actual mirrors of him uh, looking at his the young picture of himself while staring at the mirror. Um, Polly, one of my favorite scenes, when they first introduced Polly, he's in the bathroom and the mirror's yeah. been shattered and he's upset um about that but it, that also expresses something like the shattered mirror the sharp edges of Polly. um and there's another scene with uh, adrian looking in the mirror and later on um you know stallone even or, or rocky even talks about the importance of the mirror but ultimately part of the mirror is one um you know this thing is really you against yourself again another mm-hmm. thing that really draws us in beyond the yeah he's he's winning championships um it's really not about beating Clubber Lang uh, or Drago. It's about this res- internal wrestling. It's this internal battle, right? Uh, <clears throat> that's a part of the grief um, in in those movies, and um, and anyways, and then even Paulie at the beginning of Part Three um, is shown to be in this like really fairly depraved, you know, state, um, and he's often expressing jealousy and insecurity in the early Rocky days. <clears throat> about right. wanting to be a part of his is he a part what about me um <clears throat> to the point where he ends up having well he goes he gets drunk and goes to jail at the beginning of three and rocky comes right. to get him and then they have this altercation in the parking lot <clears throat> where paulie's basically saying you abandoned me and <clears throat> you're not a good friend and what you owe me and all this other stuff um and really again he's a he's also a mirror of rocky like he's representing all of rocky's earlier insecurities right yeah um and rocky even says i'm gonna be honest with you right now like you're (laughs) you're a lazy jealous bum and then they get into a fight in the parking lot last like three seconds before paulie asks for a job yeah and then rocky says why didn't you just ask (laughs) um yeah yeah but anyways so all these kinds of uh mirrors going on that again i won't spoil it for our next podcast but you know it's a direct uh, in point of instruction and in Creed, the first Creed movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I always wonder, I, I mean, this is just coming back to it. I always wonder what to do with Polly. Cause you know, in some sense, like if, if we were friends with Polly, we probably wouldn't be friends with Polly for long just cause he's a, uh, he takes, I mean, I mean the whole thing that leads to like, they have, they set up this huge rise of Rocky and he's living in this mansion, you know, which is part of the, I think probably part of the humor of the fact of like, we're trying to resonate with this character's struggle mm-hmm. when most people don't live that kind of lifestyle. And, right. and you find out between four and five that Polly had made some bad investments with Rocky's mm-hmm. money and they're back now mm-hmm. living mm-hmm. in um, poverty and things of that nature. And so, uh, which is a yeah, historic rise and catastrophic fall um, of Rocky. But 
you know, I, Polly, I, I never really knew what to do with him as a, as a character, um, which I think is really interesting. Um, but I mean, do you have any more insights? Like why, why Polly? Why is Polly in this film? Do you think? Well, I mean, for, for me, Polly represents, you know, like that part of your family that is, yeah, that difficult, uh, you know, uh, perpetually challenging, you know, person or personality uh, or experience um, that's just part of your family, right? Mm-hmm. Like we we live in a universe now, which is like um, so e- so easy to be mobilized and to move or to block your block somebody on your phone or block them on Facebook mm-hmm. um, or just you know uh, leave them all together. But historically. Um, and obviously we were somewhat, you know, mobile in the, in the eighties too, but not like we are today. It doesn't feel like, right. Um, but you know, historically like, you know, you have who you have, like you're not, uh, you might move to the next farm over or something, but you know, you're not, you're not going, uh, pre, pre, you know, uh, automobiles, right. Any place, uh, too far, unless you're, you know, out, um, you know, into the wild. Um, and, and exploring new territory. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyways, um, yeah, I mean, I just think he represents that part of you and your family that, uh, you Mm -hmm. just are contending with and, um, and that it's not, it's not going anywhere. So in a way it's an honest, again, I think relatable, um, portrait of, you know, Mm -hmm. what that's like. And he's not, um, necessarily going to change. Mm-hmm. which is a constant challenge to the Rocky character. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's one of those things that like he, I mean, the thing that we'll go ahead. Well, no, just another, another point of going the distance. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. it's just that challenge. I mean, yeah. one of the things I love is the, the, well, in the backdrop of this kind of film is like the uh, very altruistic mob boss, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> who's like there to support Rocky always in the front row, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing, all of his things, give him money to train mm-hmm. and things of that nature. But, you know, I mean, uh, Rocky, I mean, on the other hand, you got Paulie, right. Who's just always takes, 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 takes. Um, but deep down kind of has this deep appreciation of Rocky, maybe that he doesn't always, um, doesn't always, uh, express. I mean, and even, uh, to the end of the, like the storyline with Paulie, you got this. You have this sense of which you know. Paulie has a lot of regrets of his own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, and I, I think that's one of the more beautiful things about Balboa, um, that movie is is that in fact theme of that. But I mean, the fact that you know Paulie is Paulie is kind of the antagonist. I mean, why why take Paulie to Russia? With you? <laughs> like that's that was always yeah, the yeah, thing. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. like I don't know if you like the thing. It was always. I mean, maybe well, even California. Even when they go to California, right. it's very uncomfortable. Like being the, around black people i mean he's not he's not uh flexible no <laughs> no he is not right. and that's the thing that yep. is it's crazy to me because you've got like the the nature kind of like uh rocky yeah. battling nature you know extending the mountain chopping down trees and then in the corner you've got um you've got Polly listening to alvin and the chipmunks yeah. and roasting a marshmallow mm-hmm. and it's like this this what is this like <laughs> what is this? like it's just such a contrast and everything um it's true, and so it's I Pauly. just it is Polly. It is yeah. Polly, and I think it's for the reasons you talked about. Like the for Rocky, the fight is never just in the ring. Yeah, it's always outside of the Absolutely. ring. And Polly is that that constant tension of wrestling with with uh, and family. I think you name it well, family, as well as not just our deep sense of worth, which you know Polly is happy to share 
uh, in that uh, self-deprecating attitude that sometimes appears in Rocky. But that's um, true. And again, and just thinking about it as an American experience, an American film, in the history of like they're Italian, right? Right. This is true for me coming out of Appalachian too, which is more of you know Scottish right side of things. But there is a sense of you know coming the the not so distant uh, history of America of immigrating right um and immigrating with your family and moving to the part of whatever city where your you know your people live uh people of your ethnic background right and um and that even you know going back to the godfather and all of that Mm -hmm. uh side of it of like well we're going to take care of each other right that's all, all all that we ultimately have right and the racist side of it is we don't trust anybody outside of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're actively, like, distrustful of, you know, yeah. uh, not just, you know, African-Americans, but, you know, yeah. the Irish or, you know, anybody who doesn't fit our, you know, our, our thing. Yeah. Um, and which you still see, you know, play out sometimes uh, even today. And so, yeah, I think that that also speaks to that um, that reality mm-hmm. in, in a fairly honest way it's yeah. never trying to really soften that up mm-hmm. um and that you know paulie's as uh likable as he is disgusting right you know, yeah times yeah i mean he has some very endearing moments but at the same time you're right it's it, there's there's a repul- like repulsiveness to it i just remember thinking you know like even though he wasn't really going to rush on good terms with adrian i was like if you're gonna take one family member <laughs> with you i think paulie would not be the one mm-hmm. you know like like take adrian make her go i don't know like it's just, and, and i mean i know that's a part of the arc where she finally comes around to it and you know yep. and shows up and that kind of thing because there's always a sense in which in all of these films, Adrian has to kind of bless Rocky heading into yep. these moments of conflict and that kind of thing. And so, um, which, I mean, if for me, obviously, I mean, not as a Catholic, but as a Catholic, you can, like, there's some images of the Virgin Mary there that can, yeah. you can really dive into that um, that I think are really significant. For sure. Well, any final thoughts as we're kind of wrapping up here, our, our detour into Rocky's one through four? Yeah, only that, you know, again, uh, Paulie is an example of, I mean, I think the best thing they do with him is show his uh, his own insecurities and reveal his, his jealousy and reveal his um, his own struggle, right? right. It's not, it's not the, you, you do get that uh, side of him, and uh, which, again, humanizes him on yeah. one level. It doesn't excuse uh, his, his awful behavior or, <laughs> no. or perceptions. Of things, but uh, again, I think the overall the series again brings us back to totally. uh, very humanized human beings, right? And um, who who are struggling through this, and it's all part of that mm-hmm. um, struggle and that again rise and fall. I had forgotten about that. Uh, him investing, Polly investing everything and messing it up, being excused for another movie. Um, That's but right. Again, the whole thing again this, in, in terms of the passion. Is very much about you know, uh, and again, that's it's the drama structure um, where you know going down, falling down. How are you going to get back up? How are you going to address this challenge, this conflict? Mm-hmm. Um, plays really well into that, but it is really nuanced and more layered. The more you think about how all the characters potentially, yeah, are being in, are are challenging yeah. uh, in their own ways. Yeah, and 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 it, the thing I love that's unique about this film, this film series. I mean, obviously, it's still ongoing. March first is when uh, Creed three comes out, yeah. And I, I, you know, I'm so excited. But 
you know, part of the reason, you know, part of the, the journey of Rocky as we head into this, like, next phase of, of Rocky, after Rocky Four, he kind of ceases to be the main character, and other characters now come in as, like, significant parts of mm-hmm. that. And, I mean, I, I don't know if enough work has really been done, and maybe there hasn't, I'm just completely ignorant of it, of between, like, the mentor role that Rocky fills in Rocky Five mm-hmm. uh, versus the mentor role that he fills in Creed One and Two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, so yeah. we'll we'll get to that, but yeah. um, I think that'll be something that's really important because this the struggle, disappointment, loss. I mean, th- th- that's what makes a great boxing movie. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really, I haven't seen too many great boxing movies that's just been about boxing. Yeah, I sure. Mean, my other favorite great boxing film is probably The Cinderella Man with uh, mm. Russell Crowe. I don't know if you've watched that. But, I actually have not. Uh, I would love yeah. to hear your thoughts on that because it's about James Braddock during mm-hmm. the. Uh, great depression and you know historical character and like this is a sort of true story um but i mean all these films i mean warrior which is more ufc than it is boxing like that's more of a recent thing with tom hardy um and i always forget the name of mma the, yeah. the other guy but um anyway yeah this is a great story if you haven't seen the rocky films please do so they're very well worth your time yeah and again yeah a great a great boxing movie and even when they, they made rocky the first one there had already been over a hundred Right. Movies about boxing, right? Um, or about boxers, you know. And again, it's just such a visceral way to uh, to you know to allow for a metaphor for your own struggles, for your own fights, for the things you're um, uh, fighting against or, or quote unquote trying to overcome, right? Um, in addition to what again, come back to the brilliance of part one when he loses. That um, that's part of the journey too, and to know kind of like what. Uh, what what these fights mean and what 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 they're teaching us, right? Um, as we go through difficult uh, phases of our own life, um, and again, I think the whole you know, Christian expression uh, surrounding and, and Catholic expression surrounding the movies, um, especially early on, like gives us you know like a, a, a foundation to or something to grasp onto along with that too, yeah. In regards to uh, coming back to something that's very important about our faith is that Jesus uh, knows our struggles and uh, cultivates a path mm-hmm. uh, through that where there's a lot of, you know, uh, not a lot of understanding about, uh, or you can speak to this more, I'm sure, but regarding like God and suffering in the Old Testament uh, now and then, a uh, difficult thing to embrace or understand or express. Um, but Jesus very actively you know, walks this thing out. Right. Uh, one, to, um, you know, to just, you know, experience that and connect with us in that way, but also to show us yeah, um, what walking through suffering looks like and what's possible, you mm-hmm. know, with that, with our own versions of death and resurrection yeah. in our own spiritual journeys. So, yeah. And I mean, in some sense too, this is, this is what Rocky's all about. Like what's going to have the last say, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there's always adversity and then there's, there's, there's resurrection. I think that's a perfect, uh, perfect line that you're coming up with there and then, and put in really reading into this movie and, and really seeing it arise from it. But that's the, I mean, resurrection, especially in terms of Catholic faith, that's something that you see in the whole celebration of everything from Lent all the way into Easter Sunday. That's right. Yep. Um, and I think that's a powerful, powerful image that comes out of this as well. Absolutely. Yeah, very good. Yeah. 
Okay, Sounds well, good. that'll about do it for us today. Uh, <laughs> I look forward to apologies for my coughing throughout. I've got a, had a tickle in my throat all weekend, so hopefully that'll be done soon. But anyway, yeah. Um, look for our uh, our next podcast. We'll cover the Creed franchise. We'll talk about Rocky Five and Rocky Balboa in there too. Mm-hmm. Give us a nice even four on each side. Uh, and then look for our our review engagement with Creed Three, which comes out in March, um, which we'll we'll get there um, soon enough. Yep. Um, but um, also on the horizon, you'll hear us uh, talk about some Lent movies. Um, we're going to talk about Silence Scorsese's uh, passion project um, of his own, and we will uh, be happy to uh, hear your thoughts on any of those films. But please keep a lookout for that, and we will uh, see you here next time uh, on the Art House Roadshow. Thanks, everyone. Bye. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.